People often ask me, Josh, what do you think is actually going to play out? Do you really think that you're going to make a difference? Do you really think you're going to help get the world back from the brink? I want to describe what I think is going to be the most likely outcome. It's not going to be pretty, but it's also not what I think most people expect. Then I'm going to say what I think could happen instead and what I'm working for. And then despite my thinking that that's not very likely, but possible, I'm going to share why I keep doing what I'm doing, even in the face of it seems like it's not possible. So what I think is going to happen, I think that people don't recognize. You see, people think if you read about global warming, you could see how things are going to get hot. Maybe it'll be crop failures. And if there's one thing to work on, we might work on that one thing and we could fix it. Or maybe they hear about sea level rises sea level rise and they think, well, if we move away from the ocean, then we could fix that. Or they hear about deforestation and they think, well, we could fix that. It's easy to fix lots of things one at a time. I see things playing out, lots of things happening together at the same time. A way I like to think about it is that I live in Manhattan. This could be wherever you live, but let's describe New York City. Imagine sometime in the future, actually, let's describe something that's already happened. Paris last summer, I think there were several days in a row, maybe a week or something when it was about I think it was over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Super hot. I imagine if you live in New York City or wherever you live, imagine you get a week, maybe two weeks of super hot temperatures, like over 100 degrees. For the first several days, you're probably going to put on the air conditioner. That'll make it comfortable. If that keeps going, there's a pretty good chance the power system is going to start to fail. Maybe your air conditioner will start to fail. It'll be really hot. You're going to be super uncomfortable. And not just you, lots of people aren't going to be able to handle this. They're going to feel very uncomfortable. Some people are going to think, well, people are going to think, well, maybe we need a better power supply. Well, you can't just turn on power right away. I mean, maybe there's going to be some uh, plants that aren't turned on, but when they turn them on, the power grid is at capacity. Things can go down. You have blackouts, you have brownouts. So now say you have a week of super hot temperatures. People could handle it because it wasn't so, because they had air conditioning. Now, large neighborhoods aren't going to have air conditioning. And you're not really sure what to do. Well, you could say, we need more power. We need to build up the power grid. Well, that takes a long time. If you're going to build it with coal or non-renewables, that's going to be, well, it's going to be expensive. It's going to take time and it's going to pollute more. Maybe you think, let's go nuclear. Well, that's going to take even longer and cost even more. And you think, well, maybe we should do it solar or wind. That's going to take even longer and it's not going to work at some times. Some problems you can throw money at. Maybe you spend more money. You can build these things faster. It's still going to take years. It doesn't help you in that situation. Looking forward to it taking years, if people do say we just got to keep building more power, now you're taking money away from the rest of the economy for several years, maybe decades. So money that could have been spent on, I don't know, building roads, building schools, feeding people, that might now be spent on building extra power. All right, so the economy is going to take a hit some otherwise productive things aren't going to get done. But now back to the moment, we're living in a place that's for two weeks, it's well over 100 degrees. People are getting very frustrated. Some people are going to think about moving. So now imagine people think, all right, I can't keep living here. And maybe with sea level rise, they're also thinking, you know, it's time to move away. Property values are going to start falling. You're going to know that they're going to start falling, even if they don't start falling yet. So now you have It's uncomfortable to live where you are. You know from the predictions that it's going to get more hot later. If you don't move first, other people will move. Your savings are going to go down. I mean, the value you have in your home is going to drop. Maybe you're not going to be able to put your kid through college so well anymore. And the economy is going down. So you have a future that's less certain as well. 
So that's what happens. This is like a, a piece of what could happen when all things happen at once or lots of things happen at once. And we're seeing that happening more and more, that more, multiple things are happening at once. But now I want to bring it up to another level. Over the past several decades or so, we've had events like Katrina in New Orleans. Houston has been flooded with back-to-back uh, hurricanes that were supposed to take once every 500 years. New York City, we got hit with Sandy. There's all these things happening right now and all over the world as well, as we all know. And they're getting not just... Now, it's possible that the extreme weather is... I've seen people who've studied this and say, we're actually not having more extreme weather. Even if we're not, we have a higher population. And that means that even not more extreme weather has bigger consequences, more people getting hurt by it. But I think also we're seeing more things happening. I mean, there's also wildfires. That, that's not a matter of weather. I guess it's weather, and, but that looks like it's climate change. So things are happening more and more around the world. When Katrina happens or Sandy happens, the United States is pretty big, and we can all get together and help an area that's hurting. Well, what happens when there's two places that get hit like that? What happens when three places, you know, there's a hurricane in one place, wildfires in another, in another, and huge flooding in another? At some point, the U.S. can't quite get together. They won't have enough to fix different places happening at the same time. And now think of you in the middle of this. You're in one of these places. Even if you're not in one of these places, your tax money, your welfare, it's going to help these other places. It's not helping, you know, the economy is going to take a hit. The relationships you have with the people around you are going to get hurt. What I see happening is this increasing over time. And if it, a lot of people, I think, they think, well, there'll be some sort of market correction sort of thing. Like the stock market will go down, we'll recover. Well, when the stock market goes down a percent or a couple percent, that's a big deal. When water supplies go down by 10%, and especially in regions that are at their limit, that's not a matter of prices drop. That's a matter of people die. Maybe you'd think in some kind, of, some kind of war situation, there's some kind of triage that happens. You know, if there's a battle and there's only, there's only resources to save 10 people and there's 11 people injured, sometimes you don't help that one. I mean, it's horrible, but sometimes that has to happen. I mean, even just watching MASH, a comedy, that sort of thing would happen. MASH, the TV show. If there's some region that's running out of water, running out of uh, arable land, or some kind of resources disappearing that they, don't, that they need to live by, it's not like some people are just going to say, well, we'll take one for the team and we'll just die. If there's enough water for only 90% of the people that are there, everyone's going to want some. That's going to mean war, or it's going to mean battles. And I think the most likely scenario that I was getting at, when these things happen, if we're not prepared, I mean, the number one thing to prepare is to, well, I'll get to that in a second. If we're not prepared and we don't know how to handle this, I think most likely law and order will probably at least decrease. I think you'll start seeing warlords. Certainly, we've already seen people who come to power by saying, I will fix all this, whether they can or not. And I think they'll tend to exacerbate the problem. And when people are, when their back is to the wall and someone's, someone's threatening you for a resource that you need and they need, the story is always the same. We will not start the fight, but we will defend ourselves and everyone will defend what they think they own. And you'll start having wars. You'll start having climate refugees on a much greater scale than we have now. It's nice to think that maybe some places where the resources are still relatively abundant, that they'll be able to defend themselves. But at some point, the numbers of people who are without are going to, sheer numbers are going to be pretty big. I think I see playing out hostility, people fighting, maybe major wars. Now there's small regional wars, I think, over resources, but they could be really big ones. 
between continents, possibly between India and Pakistan, two nuclear nations. I could see something happening over a border there. Maybe one of them would use them. Hard to think about, not so hard to think about now, not exactly conceivable now, but it could happen. When people are dying, when people don't have water, you could see that happening. When people don't have crops, you could see that happening. And so I think that well before, okay, there's lots of books out there. The big one for me, I thought I wasn't going to like this book, but I liked it a lot. The Uninhabitable Earth by David Wallace Wells. It starts off by saying things are much worse than you think, or things can get much worse than you think. And he talks about all the natural disasters that could happen, maybe are likely to happen. I think that well before those natural disasters happen, that the breakdown of law and order will be greater and people will start fighting with each other and we will, by our own hands, cause the greatest damage. Also, there's some other things. like No one ever talks about this. Like As sea levels rise, how many landfills are near oceans or would be underwater if the sea level rose a bit? And how much of that waste would just float up and go out to sea and just get, within a few years, get mixed up with the rest of the oceans? It seems to me that there'll be a breakdown. People won't be able to keep law and order in many places, maybe most places. There'll be large battles. And when there's, there are these large battles, people will think, well, I got to protect what's mine. And they will waste resources even more because in a battle, that's what you do. You got to defend yourself. And I think people will do that. And so this will accelerate the rate of pollution, the rate of both pollution in terms of fossil fuel use, as well as stuff making its way into the air and the ocean and on the land. And I think possibly within my lifetime, there'll be oceans that are just filthy. I mean, the whole ocean. I mean, now we expect by 2050 more fish, no, more plastic in the ocean than fish. I've read that many times. I could see that getting much greater. Oh, and I also see, I mean, right now we have the coronavirus going around. And I could see with greater population density, and if we're not able to keep law and order so well, I could see diseases spreading with the famine. This is, I think, the most likely scenario. I don't want to say this is a doomsday thing because I'm going to face this. It just seems like that's how things will play out, that we will get into fights before the worst of the environmental disasters could hit. Now, what I think could unfold, I've said in many other episodes or in several other episodes that, and I think people get virtually every environmental problem gets worse if you increase the population and gets a lot easier to handle if you decrease the population. Most people, when you say population, they think the one-child policy, they think eugenics, they think forced sterilization, they think forced abortions, they think the one-child policy in China where they would tear down your home if you had a second child, and they think coercion and authoritarian and violence and things like that. I've talked at length, although I'll talk a lot more, about cases like Thailand, Iran, Costa Rica, Mexico. But the big one is Thailand. On a nationwide scale, this guy, Machai Vira Vianda, sorry about getting the last name wrong, watches TEDx talk. He found ways to voluntarily, non-coercively, and in a fun way, playfully, think everything the opposite of the one-child policy in China. That was coercive, authoritarian, telling people what to do, getting in the bedroom. Think instead, fun, non-coercive, like taking condoms out to kids and having them blow up balloons. This is in the 70s and 80s, I think before we did in the US. Long story short, Thailand went from, I think, something like seven children per woman to within, I think, 10 or 20 years, one and a half child per woman. Per woman. And through non-coercive, fun, like they made a superhero character that like, got the message out. Machai has a restaurant that's like full of condoms. as a playful sort of thing. And then when, when AIDS hit, I think it was estimated that they, they estimated that something like seven million people's lives were saved because of the condoms that wouldn't have been otherwise. And still the population didn't go crazy. 
in Mexico, they had a soap opera with one family that was had lots of kids and they were always strapped for cash and things didn't go so well. Then another family that had one kid. And look, I've seen a lot of families with a lot of numbers of kids and I've, I've not seen less love in a family with one child than in a family with more children. And so the, apparently the soap operas, Mexico did them, but other places too, had a measurable effect on people's population, on people's uh, birth rates. A global birth rate, just doing the numbers, is this feasible politically? I don't know. But just doing the numbers, if you have a few generations of one and a half or one child per family, global average, within a few generations, we're down to something like two or three billion people, which means abundance for everyone. You probably know that I don't fly. Well, if there are two billion people on the planet, I'd fly around as I wanted because the earth can regenerate when... Two billion people are living the way that we are now. Why two billion? Because that's the population before the Green Revolution and the Haber-Bosch process allowed us to fix nitrogen and turn basically fossil fuel into food. If we can't create artificial fertilizers, that seems to be a major thing that you could say the Green Revolution saved lives, but you, you could also say that it enabled billions of people to live who wouldn't have otherwise. And if we can get the population down to what it was before artificial fertilizer, which requires as far as I understand, it requires fossil fuels to work, then we could have a population that would be abundant for everyone, prosperity for everyone alive. And some people out there say, the best thing we can have right now is more children, more babies, because then we'll get more geniuses that will solve all these problems. We had Einstein, Newton, Galileo, Mozart, Bach, with fewer than 2 billion people. And I don't see many Einsteins out there today. I think it's not the number of people but the context in which you're growing them. If people are low on resources, then you could have an Einstein, but if that guy's got to figure out how to live or she's got to figure out how to live, she or he is not going to be able to solve the big problems. With under 2 billion people, we can have incredible geniuses. And, and let's not forget, well before even a billion, we had Buddha, Jesus, Lao Tzu, Aristotle, Plato. We don't need more numbers to get more geniuses. So I think what could happen, what could unfold, is that the world gets together and figures out on a global scale, maybe first on a regional scale, what Thailand did on a national scale, what Mexico did on a not quite national scale. And I think, you know, in time, just like you shall have dominion over all the earth used to mean you could dominate everything. Now, a lot of people who interpret that to mean you should steward, you know, God gave us this earth. If I use something up that someone else doesn't, could have gotten to use, I think a lot of people who would say, who used to say we have dominion, we can do everything, do anything we want, would now say, I'm a steward. It's not right for me to use something up that was, I'm just supposed to steward for someone else. So that reinterpretation of what dominion means into stewardship, well, could we not change, be fruitful and multiply to mean live a sweet, fruitful life and multiply happiness? That makes a lot of sense to me. It seems true to the original word. Anyway, so I think what could happen is that through voluntary, non-coercive, fun, resulting in prosperity and abundance for all, Family planning, within a few generations, we could get down to a sustainable, regenerative, stable population, small enough that the earth can regenerate and abundance and prosperity for everyone. That's what I'm working for. That still seems pretty far-fetched. Is it likely that that's going to happen? I got to say, probably not. Could it happen? Yes. Have people gotten more remote things to happen? I mean, we've had moonshots and things like that. Yeah. So why do I keep working at it? One guy, I'm sitting here talking on a microphone. What do I really think could happen? Vince Lombardi, if you look up on my blog, I'll, I'll try to put a link for it. He's got this talk. It's an essay, what it takes to be number one. 
and I'm going to paraphrase because he puts it in a very football guy talk in the 50s, 60s talk. The ending point says, I believe, this is him saying, that there's no greater thing to experience in life than to give all you've got to something greater than yourself. Speaking in terms of sports, you may win some games and you may lose some games. Everyone has lost games. Michael Jordan lost games. Roger Federer loses games. Everybody loses sometimes. And you got to get back in sometimes. But the point is, I believe that how you feel about the result, yes, you prefer to win to lose. But if you've given all you've got, if you've given to the fullest extent of your potential, if you've given all you've got in a cause greater than yourself, greater than all of us, how you feel results from how much you gave relative to your potential. I've certainly lost games where I didn't train enough. And it's horrible. That feeling sticks with you for a lifetime if you really care about the results. And there are games that I really cared about the results. Likewise, there are games when we lost, but we gave everything we got. And it's just respect to the other team. But I still felt as good as I could have. Like I reached my pinnacle. I realized there's probably more that I could do. I could probably reach a greater pinnacle. That'll come next time. As far as I know, I trained as best I could. And I'm doing everything I can on this one, on the environment, because the writing's on the wall. It's very clear. I know it could happen. If we go down and we lose this game, so to speak, I will still give everything that I've got in a cause greater than myself, greater than all of us. If we make it, great. Well, there is no making it. A lot of people think, are we going to fix things so that we can go back to the way things were? It's just now the airplanes won't pollute. We won't have single-use plastic. There'll be some solution for everything. They're waiting for the scientists to make things happen. That's gone. That's decades, generations ago. Millions of people are suffering here and now today. As far as I know, we can't change the past. But what it means is that everything we do now has an effect. Every plastic cup you use, every time you step on the gas, every time that you don't, every time you cook fresh vegetables instead of getting takeout, everything makes a difference. Every single thing that we do makes a difference. Every piece of plastic that I throw out, that I buy unnecessarily, every dollar that I spend that goes to fund more fossil fuel extraction and destroying more habitat and displacing more people, all of that matters. So every bit makes a difference. That also means that every bit that you do makes, making a difference matters to you. It can. It can feel great. There's no deprivation for me in not flying. There's no deprivation for me in eating fresh fruits and vegetables instead of getting takeout all the time. Absolutely none. This is the best life that I could possibly live given the situation that we're in. And I love it. I'm happier than I've ever been. That's why I do this. Because I'm giving everything I've got in a cause greater than myself. It's that oneness. It's that I'm not a parent. I'm, I got nieces and nephews. And I know what it feels like to have nieces and nephews. But I imagine it's even greater to take care of your children. This is what I'm doing. This is what humans can do, what we're capable of. And so while I think it's most likely, the most likely outcome is that we will react too slowly, as we've been doing, the environment will degrade, it will be unable to support the population that we have, the population will keep growing, we'll start fighting, the fighting will get out of hand, combining with famine and disease, that our population will drop dramatically. By the way, the numbers for this, or the patterns for this, are in limits to growth. So there's reasons why it makes sense. I'm not getting into limits to growth so much now. But like, I didn't make this up. This is coming from numbers, from people who plugged stuff in and, and really played out the math. But someday I'll have to do an episode to talk about that. Anyway, I think most likely is that outcome. But what's possible, what's possible is that we get together 
And I'm doing my strategy I talked about the other day is starting. I mean, I want to reach the most influential people, the Oprahs, the LeBrons, the Serenas, Barack, Elon and Sergey, De Niro and so forth. And at the same time, also the CEOs of major corporations and NGOs, and then have that influence other. Oh, I'm not going to get into that whole strategy. I've talked about that in other places, but it's possible. It could work out. And even if it doesn't work out fully, I think that's our best strategy to find ways for people to feel like I'm not going to buy as much stuff. I'm not going to consume as much stuff. I'm going to enjoy what I have. I'm not going to push growth. I'm going to push enjoying what I have. I'm not going to try to externalize costs. I'm not going to pollute. I'm going to steward. I'm going to take responsibility for my behavior affects others. And I think that's a glorious, joyful way to be. And as far as we get, I'm putting everything I've got into this solution. This is how I think is most likely for things to play out. What I hope to have happen on a broad scale. There's lots of middle steps I've got to work out and why I'm doing it despite the odds being against me, although every little bit matters. So everything that I do makes a difference. Oh, by the way, you'll notice that I did not say that I think that solar power, wind power, fusion, fission, that technology will save us. That's deliberate. I've done the research. A lot of people are going to disagree with me on this. But the pattern that I've seen over and over again throughout history, or certainly throughout since the Industrial Revolution, is that technology amplifies the goals of the system. And our system is geared toward growth. It's geared toward externalizing costs. And if we make that system more efficient by having more efficient and less polluted, even if one piece of it pollutes less, say nuclear fusion, say that we get that working. I believe that if you make a system that pollutes more efficient, even if that one piece of it pollutes less. Overall, you make the system pollute more and you get more pollution. You pollute with less effort. That has been what's happened over and over again. It happened with the steam engine. It happens with Uber and, and self-driving cars and not self-driving cars, ride sharing with the internet. I mean, the computers keep getting more and more efficient and the internet overall keeps using more and more energy. That's the systemic effect. There's also what Norman Borlaug, I think is his name, the guy who won the Nobel Prize for the Green Revolution in his Nobel acceptance speech said, what many people consider saved the lives of billions of people. From another perspective, it enabled the birth of all these people. I mean, there have been island nations where people, humans lived, and they realized we can't grow forever. We have to keep the population, and humans can keep their population stable. It can be done. But that's not what we've done. We've grown to larger and larger numbers. And so he said, speaking loosely now, you look up the quote, all this does is buy us a little time. If we don't figure out how to balance the population all we're doing is forestalling this exact problem later. I don't see, if we create nuclear fusion, go to the Do the Math blog to see how things play out because what happens is we just run out of resources soon enough. We run out of other resources. We, we face limits to growth. So fusion, I don't see as a solution. It just forestalls. I mean, when you get more energy sources, the pattern, the systemic pattern is that you get a greater overshoot and a steeper collapse. So greater overshoot means you enable more people to live, but then you hit a new limit then there's a collapse. So that means more and more people die. There's more suffering. I was deliberate. I'm not ignoring that fusion could work. I'm not ignoring that solar and wind could contribute. But as best I can tell, everything says that what that leads to is a steeper collapse later on. If we were to get fusion and contain ourselves, not say, oh, power too cheap to meter, let's build more and more stuff. That's what we've always done before. Humans have always done if instead we were able to contain that. Well, that's the shift. We would stop pushing growth and externalizing costs. If we made that shift, then what we would see is the population going down voluntarily, non-coercively, fun, 
for more abundance for everyone. And then we wouldn't need the technological fixes. So I don't see technological fixes as solving things. I don't see going to Mars or colonizing some other planet. If we can't get this planet working, then we'll get to another planet. But that doesn't get people off of this planet. If we're overpopulated and we go to Mars, new people grow on Mars, but the people on Earth are still stuck. This was just a uh, not a caveat, but like um, something to put at the end that I didn't leave out stuff. I believe that I'm not ignorant. I believe that I understand how these patterns work. I didn't come up with it. It seems very clear how things would work out. I don't see a future of fusion solving the problem or wind and solar solving the problem. If we do get and we shift to not growing, but voluntarily, non-coercively, family planning to bring the population down, in that case, efficiency works great because that will accelerate, augment that system. So if a system geared toward enjoying what you have instead of growth and stewarding and taking responsibility for how your behavior affects others instead of just externalizing costs. Externalizing costs meaning like throw the mercury into the river, get disposable stuff. If we have a system that makes that shift, then efficiency accelerates that. It accelerates enjoyment, enjoying what you have, and it accelerates stewardship and responsibility. I wanted to clarify that last bit at the end. I wasn't leaving those things out. I've taken them into account. I still think they don't fix everything. I'm still working to what I'm working for.